Welcome to Heartland Journeys and to this story told by Lynette Knapp, a Murningar Elder and Adjunct Research Fellow, and Dr Alison Lowfitz, Research Associate, both at the University of Western Australia. Lynette and Alison are walking and talking together on a bush property beside the Palinup River, near Boxwood Hill. Connection to country is a strong thread in their friendship. And you'll hear, on this windy day, Lynette begin by describing how Talirak, or the Blue Mallee, is such a strong marker of Meningar country, and how it's common along the south coast, on land formed from an ancient seabed over 30 million years ago. Traditionally, we know our country by the growth of whatever plant that we can relate to. Mooning a country, or Mooning country that is the art and soul of my existence, is the ocean to the south, to, to the end of the Talyrak, the blue Talyrak in the north. And from Denmark in the west, right through to Israelite Bay in the east. This tree tells me where my country is. This Talyrak. That's the Blue Mallee, tells us where the meaning of country is. If I took my father anywhere during the day and we were out of country, travel at home at night, the minute the headlights hit that, it just lights up silver. Yeah, because it just shines in the headlights. Yeah. It? It's, oh, my girl, I'm home. And that's what that means to me. It's home. It tells me where my home is. I feel pretty grateful that I was born in this part of the world. This is um, the landscape that I've grown up feeling familiar and comfortable in. The farm I grew up on backed on to the Fitzgerald River National Park, so our nearest neighbour was the ranger for the National Park. Our house was in that really Quangan kind of stuff and really diverse, and there was also lots of really nice creeks with big mo trees as I know they are now but oh. then we would have called them yate trees <laughs> yeah. and there was a lot of bush that hadn't been cleared out the back of our farm so my brothers and I used to spend an awful lot of time out there. We really developed that appreciation I guess for the bush. I can't remember ever specifically learning that we lived in this really biodiverse place. I don't know if we would have used that language, but we just grew up knowing that it was a pretty special spot, even though we'd never really been anywhere else particularly. For Lynette, plant and animal totems hold great spiritual significance. Totems link her, her family and her ancestors to her traditional country as part of an integral ecological system. A study of human DNA haplogroups carried out by the University of Copenhagen has linked Lynette's family with Meningar country for at least 75,000 years. We're totemic people, every Noongar person has two totems. That of a plant and that of an animal. So that makes us a part of this ecological system. We're an integral cog in the wheel mm. of the Australian bush habitat. This is us, we belong here. When we die, we believe our spirits go back into our totems to replenish and keep them going. So when those totems die, 
they become totemic spirits. Their spirits and our spirits go back into the rocks out of the Parangrups or Barangora. Barangora is totem. We, you say totem, we say Barangur. And the place where those connections are kept are in the rocks out at Barangurup or Purungurup as it is now. So it's like a shrine to us, that place. It's an absolute shrine. Rocks hold all our secrets, all our spiritualisms in rocks. We are given those totemic things and we look after those totemic things. If we fail to, there's a huge consequence. Um, not so much in punishment for us, but it's taken away because we're not looking after it properly. Well, well, do you want to go over that way? So you can come up. This is my totem plant that I recognise on country. This is what they call tiak. It's emu bush. The ends, when they come out, they're like little tiny babies, dummies. And when they go pink, they're like bush sugar. Lovely and sweet. But that's my totem plant. My animal totem is the yuri yuri bird, what we call the yuri yuri bird. And we only hear her uh, if we're camped somewhere and she's talking from a long distance. We know that someone's coming from that way. So we'd all sit down and wait for whoever's coming from that way to come home. The yuri yuri bird, and I can't describe it to you because I haven't seen it, but I've heard it. She tells us everything. But the reason that you haven't seen it is because you weren't allowed to. No, no, you can't look at it. Through the story of the great serpents, swamps and the underground world, Lynette offers incredible insights into Noongar beliefs. She also shines a powerful light on the impacts that come from breaking cultural links by damaging the environment and from the legacy of the stolen generation. When you go through country and you see all different swamps along, they're all connected through an underground passageway. So we've got a world down there as well as a world up here. The great serpents going through underground tunnelways, that's their breath holes when they come up to take a deep breath of air to go down and through an underground passageway to the next one. My family look at all those swamps as where the serpent took a deep breath. The creation underground is just as rich as what is up on top of ground. But the top of the ground is being destroyed and all that underground stuff is going to be not there either. Because they need the top part as well as the bottom part to live, breathe. It irks me to see all those things being cleared, swamps and waterways, because it compresses the ground and the life underneath, the world underneath, stops. When they stop, everything disappears. When I was a child, we were taught not to go near any spring or water hole because of the great serpents that lived in them. And I remember when we were in Brimmer, all us kids were wagging school. And we were all running around trying to sneak on whatever they told us was in these water holes around the town site that is now. There's no water holes there now because they've all been filled in. Um, we went to one and there's this great big black and white serpent. I can remember it just rolling over in the water and disappearing. And that was the last time I went and disturbed 
anything. We got in trouble. We got in a lot of trouble for doing that. What do they say now? You reap what you sow? It's very similar. But our culture is, we don't just talk about it, we live it. So far up to now, we've lived that culture. I mean, because I was left home by myself and my brothers and sisters were taken away and put in the mission, you can see that link that's been damaged. Like that waterway, that's, the hole's been filled in, you know what I mean? Like that waterway, it's been broken, it's compressed. And that's what's happened to my brothers and sisters. Our culture's been broken. My, I remember someone asking my father about cultural stuff many years ago, not longer before he died. He died in 92. And I remember him saying that the black man's world wasn't never the same, you know, after they took over. It was never the same, it's been broken. And there's a thing that you break and you can't replace it. Lynette shares a powerful and important story from her father about connection to country. Carol and I joined the South West Aboriginal Land and Sea Council working group representing our family. Noongar country is run on a consensus. So you take home your information. After I went to the first one, I went home and I said to Dad, I'm wanting to know from you what your connection to country is. You tell me what your connection to country is and I'll think about it. He had a good old think and he said to me, well, my girl, when my mummy found me, in other words, when he was born, didn't say at his birth, that was a no-no, didn't talk about that kind of stuff. When my mummy found me, all the yogas, all at a yardi, woman's dance. He said, everything to do with mum finding me was buried in the ground. He said, that's my DNA connection to this land. And my Buddha, my country, this is yours. This is your connection to this country. This is your kids, their kids and their kids. He said, it's in the ground for centuries and no one can get it out because they, they wouldn't be able to find it. The DNA would be still in the soil. If they can bulldoze the place down and put it over there in a big heap, It'll be still in the soil. They can't get rid of it. So that's our connection to this country. And I was quite satisfied with that because it helped me understand his um, need to be connected to country. For an old, old man to tell me things like that, it was very important. Alison and her partner Rob owned the property where this conversation is taking place. Located next to the very high and steep riverbank, it offers breathtaking views down and across the sharply curving form of the river. Well, it's magical, isn't it? But that river there is what is known as the Palanup River. Noongars call it Mara River. And it's a big dividing line for tribal stuff. You get that permission to go over the other side of that. But the tribes all belong on the Mooninga coastline, or the Minang coastline, but I say Mooninga because that's how it is. They're all the same, except when you come to cross borders, like this here, you've got to ask permission to go over the other side. 
And look at it, what a magical, beautiful place it is. Across Meningar country, Noongar people have shaped the growth of some trees to funnel water down the stems into a deep bowl near the base. The water collected is often for ceremonial or medicinal purposes. We um, lucky in a way that Ali and Rob owns this property because on their property is what we call Nama Buona, in other words, a water tree. Nama Buona. Tree is Buona, Nama is water. What you can see is a, a very important tree. Even though it's dead now, it's uh, been looked after very well. And this here would have been part of a lid to go on top of that, possibly stop animals getting into it. But you see how the bark was used to catch the water as it came down from the tree and just redirect it down here to fill that up. This is one of the farming methods of water. They would have used this water to possibly perform ceremonies. Very ceremonial tree, I'd say. Lynette and Alison are talking at a grove of mujja trees, or Nutsia floribunda, also known as the Christmas tree. Yep. I've never known any Noongars to camp under it. Yep. I've, never, I've always thought, go away, leave it alone, let it grow. It's our spirit tree. Yep. And of course, Aboriginal people and spirits are a big thing. Yeah. And this is the pathway to Kurunup. Kurunup means a long place. It means Eben, well Kura means a long time ago or for a long way to go. So this is the beginning of those travels so we don't want them spirits coming out and onto us. So we steer clear of camping under these places. They're sacred. So it's like the link between us real living people and Kurunup? up. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, that's the land that they go to, that's our heaven. Now spirits go and sit in those branches and rest for a certain amount of time and then they take their journey to Kurunup. When these flowers come out about Christmas time, we believe that's all those spirits that have used this to launch themselves into Kurunup, these spirits coming back to look over their country. So we don't pick these trees if it's in flower, because that's killing your spirits. So that's the story of the old Muja tree. Being part of and looking after country are central to Noongar beliefs and culture. And this is often at odds with non-Aboriginal concepts of land ownership. For Lynette, there is an enormous impact from country being cleared, fenced and developed without consultation. When you look at mountains and hills and things, we call them cart. Cart. Our heads are cart. So when we're on country and we're on cart or amongst cart, amongst the great mountains, we know they've got eyes and ears and they're watching our every move. So we have to show those carts special consideration. We have to respect them. If we don't respect them, we know that we'll be paying for it down the track. It'll come back to want us. 
we belong to the bush. We belong there because our totems are an integral part of the landscape. That's how we live it. That's what we believe in. It's like losing a finger or losing a ear or, or something. It's a part of you. It hurts. It, it, it hurts to see things knocked down and big, great concrete slabs put where they shouldn't be put. And there's no consultation, you know. There, no one comes to Blackfellow and say, oh, can we build a house there or, or put a building there? What's so important about it if we do? Of course it's important. It's replacing all our culture. And I, I suppose that's why it was so easy to take country off us, because there was no ownership put on country or Buja. We were a part of it. We didn't own it. Whereas when people come along and started putting up fences, it stopped everything and it knocked all our bush out. We don't own it, it owns us, it more or less owns us. We do what that system tells us. We're part of the landscape, that's why we've got totems. We have to look after those totems and that's gone. It's not lost, it's stolen because everything's not there anymore. As a child, I used to watch those great tractors with great big chains just driving through country. And then it was outbreaking really because when they cleared the Mallee, I'm talking about Mallee country, up, up around the Wheatbelt area where my father and his brothers were shearers. And when you'd see this, the great chains going through, and then all of a sudden it'd be all flat and all of a sudden one little tree would pop its head up. It was like, help me, you know, it was, a, it was distressing. Your property, Ali, is the only property that I've, I've been on without a fence. Fences were a great big part in chucking us out of our country. Arison and I know that we can come here any time of the day, doesn't matter when, and we're welcome. And it's different. You're treating the country with respect, Ali, and that's the way I think it all should be. And it's welcoming. I think since getting to know you and spending time with you and Aunty Carol and Uncle Eugene mm. and other elders, I feel a lot more of a sense of responsibility too, though, because your old people looked after this for so long. Thousands of years. Yeah, for thousands. tens of thousands. Yeah. And we've got the privilege because they looked after it so yeah. well to enjoy it. And yeah. so I feel like it's this responsibility to them. Yeah. I mean, when we yeah. first got involved out here, we came and burnt a lot of this stuff out here. And it was wonderful seeing Arison and the girls going through mm. looking for bodies. And, yeah. And they were all having a good old feed of it. It was awesome. It's incredibly heartwarming. I loved that day, and yeah. you're there showing the kids how to cook the bodies <laughs> on the fire, and you know, it just felt like that's how it should be. Yeah. It just felt right. Well, there's no, been no difference between us and you, is there? Well, I've learned a lot from you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's same here, vice versa. I think the big thing that I've learned is that I used to think how important 
wilderness was, you know, these untouched kind of places. Mm, beautiful. And now I think I feel really differently and I feel like I think the worst thing that I could see ever happening to this place is for it to have no one to look after it, to not have people to care for yeah. it. Yeah. That's so, sort of been this 90 degree flip in my mind and it's mm. been since... Uh, We've corrupted you. Yeah, <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> This has been a Gondwana Link production with story development by Nicole Hodson, Margaret Robertson and Teresa Ashton-Graham. Narration by Nicole Hodson and music by Rod Vervest. Our warm thanks to Lynette Knapp and Alison Lowfitz and to audio editor Teresa Ashton-Graham and producer Kim Lofts of Blue Manor Studio. Thanks also to Frank Richevec and Nolene Harrison for the original recording. Mm-hmm.